your Bibles, please, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. I want to preach to you tonight on contentment. Contentment. I don't know that there's anything more misunderstood. I don't know that there's anything more tragically unused. I truly don't know that there's anything more important in the life of a believer than coming to the place where we honestly experience contentment. Contentment. We're living in a day that's frazzled. We're living in a society that's coming apart at the seams. We're living in an hour when people have got to go and take courses on how to manage their stress just to keep it in boundaries that won't tear them to pieces. We're living in an hour when there's a revolving door outside the pastor's office. Of people coming in, they say, I'm all torn up. We lack contentment. The world says, take these pills, they'll calm you down. And by the way, you'd be absolutely amazed at the number of people in our churches, not not the liberal churches, in our churches, who've got to have the medicine to hold them together. You'd be absolutely amazed at the number of preachers that pop the pills. Well, they just help settle me. I guess so. The state right next to being settled is sleep when you start taking those pills. We're living in an hour when people literally don't know how to get their lives together. Then we sit here and say, I wonder why the world doesn't find our testimony attractive. I wonder why the world doesn't want the Savior we have. You know what the world says? If your Savior's so great, how come He can't take care of your troubles? If your God's so powerful, how come you got that look on your face? How come your nails are all bitten back to the quick? How come you're all torn up? And boy, we sit there without an answer. I'm here to tell you tonight that contentment is provided for in the Word of God. God demands it. God commands it. God expects it. And I believe that when we get to heaven, that we, Brother brother Dwight, are going to be startled beyond imagination at what resources were ours in Christ Jesus that we never availed ourselves of. We're going to say, you mean I went through all of that down there in life and I never, ever understood that that was mine and that I got it the day I got saved. I'm here tonight to preach to you on that which I believe will jumpstart 
your ministry. Contentment. Now, before we read this passage, I want you to be very careful and understand what contentment is not. The devil is the master of disguise and fraud. He's the master at taking a Bible term and getting a world's meaning attached to it. Have you ever noticed the meaning that the world now attaches to the word fundamentalist? My, how he loves to drape a term that's sacredly special with a trapping that's disgusting. Listen to me. What the world calls contentment is not contentment at all. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find that the word contentment means complacency. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find that the word contentment means laid back, relaxed, loose. Man, I just got to take a few days off to get laid back, to get loose. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find that the word contentment means unwound. Those are all the terms the world wants to lay on it. Man, I just got to get home at night so I can lay in my hot tub. Just sort of ooze a while. Isn't that amazing? You sit there and you let the bubbles tickle your spine and you think that's contentment. Well, Paul had contentment and he didn't know what a hot tub was. Spurgeon and Moody knew about contentment, and they worked 16-hour days. Contentment is not when you get to the place that you're satisfied. Have you ever met somebody and you say, man, how you doing? Oh, we're, we're holding our own, thank God. Complacent? Laid back, passed out, rascal. That's not contentment. You see, Paul said, I've got some goals. And Paul said, I'm going somewhere. And Paul said, I'm in a battle. And Paul said, Timothy, you got to stand and you got to endure hardness. And Timothy, you got to understand this is for everything. And Paul had contentment. You say, he's in a battle? Enduring hardness, fighting for his life, and he had contentment? Contentment is not your ease or complacency. Most of when you, when you come to church and you say, God, boy, I want contentment, godliness with contentment. Most of you, what you're saying is, I want no trouble. I want to be able to be a little complacent. I don't want to be pressed. I don't want to be hassled. That's not what the word contentment means at all. You've been sold a lying bill 
of goods. You go home at night and you play Madhavani music just to calm yourself. That's not contentment. Neither, my friend, is contentment a false peace that's based on ignorance. If you don't hear anything I say, listen to this. Our people are specializing in not finding out about things because we figure what we don't know can't hurt us. I know preachers who don't want their staffs to tell them when things are going on. I don't want to know. You know what? You, I say this with respect, are a fool. Because contentment is not some false peace that you get yourself into by just not knowing about things. It's not complacency. It's not a false peace. And it's not an escape from the battle. Did you hear me? Paul never escaped from the battle. We're about to read a book that he had to write while he was chained to guards. Day and night, their movements would rustle him and twitch his body. Meanwhile, while he's chained to those guards, there are vicious, malicious enemies out there trying to destroy and undermine his work. The Bible says that they were preaching just to hurt him. Paul never escaped from the battle. But in the midst of that, he said, I have. Boy, you live here on the West Coast where jumps to Hawaii are inexpensive. I want to tell you, when you come back from Hawaii, the battle will still be here. And you jump all you want. Escaping the battle has nothing to do with contentment. Read with me if you would. Listen very carefully to what he says. Here he is giving instruction to all the saints. Those that have been saved for a long time and those that are new converts. Those that are wise in the faith and those that are yet simple. Boy, you read verse 1, chapter 1. He said, I'm writing this to all of the saints. And listen what he says. Chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. 
Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, how we want that biblical virtue of contentment in our lives. Father, we want to do that which is of honor to our ministry, but most importantly, we want to do that which is of honor to the Savior we serve. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was not a victim of his circumstances. Now, please listen carefully. Paul, as you read this account, was a man that had circumstances buffeting him on every side. If you could have called him up and said, Paul, how's it going? Paul could have filled your ear with the impossibility of the things he faced. But Paul, as he wrote to these Christians, he said, listen, I'm not a victim of my circumstances. He said, I am a victor over my circumstances. And every person in this room is either living as a victim or a victor. Did you hear me? Every single person is living either as a victim where your circumstances are running and controlling you or you're living as a victor over your circumstances. A man came up one day and he said, there's only two kinds of people in this world. I said, what's that? He said, thermostats and thermometers. I said, what? He said, thermostats and thermometers. I said, what's the difference? He says, thermometers just go up and down with the temperature. Thermostats change the temperature. He said people are either thermostats or thermometers. Paul was no thermometer. He was a man who said, man, I've got trouble on every side. But he said, I have something. I have something that comes to me from God, and it does something for me. What he spoke of was contentment, not a complacency, not an ease that comes from pulling out of the battle, not a false sense of peace through ignorance. Paul said, I have contentment that is birthed and authored of God. Now, I want to tell you the great secret of contentment before I give you this message, because I believe the Bible tells us exactly how to get it. Contentment, my friend, is the great key to doing something for God. Because contentment comes when you're satisfied that your resources are more than adequate. Did you hear what I just said? Contentment will come to you when you are more 
than satisfied that your resources are more than adequate. That's contentment. You see, Brother Treber, it really doesn't matter what I face if my resources are adequate. On the other hand, if my resources aren't adequate, whatever I face is going to derail me as a Christian. Contentment is when you say, I have what I need. My resources are adequate to more than meet the need of that which I face. Do you know what the tragedy is? Most of you live today as if your resources weren't adequate. You lived with no contentment. Well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. No resources, huh? Man, I tell you, I'm scared about this. No resources. Man, when I go home, I mean, I gotta face them. No resources, huh? You know why you have no contentment? Not because of what you face. You have no contentment because you don't have the resources to go back and face whatever you gotta face. You say, David, you don't know what all's in my life right now. That's true, I don't. But I know one thing. Worse is probably coming. Man, I had some problems two years ago that I thought were whoopers. Man, how I'd love to have them back now. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Hold your hand up. Sure. And you know what? Man, things are going to wax worse and worse. But that's all right. I can still be content, Brother Paul, if my resources are adequate. So you see, contentment isn't tied to your circumstances. Contentment is tied to whether you've got the resources. Let me put it in layman's language. Is it in have you got it? You see, you've been spending all your time praying for God to change the circumstances. When God said, I put the circumstances there so that you could see just what I am in you. Contentment comes when you're more than satisfied that your resources are more than adequate. Then you'll have Contentment. Oh, now watch carefully because Paul here, the man that had an abiding peace, the man that had an abiding confidence in the midst of the battle, starts out immediately by saying some things that you've got to seize tonight. And by the way, I wish this message had been preached to me years ago. You're looking at a man that was torn up all the time. A man that would go into court frazzled and scared, wired. And boy, then I'd read about contentment. And Brother Treber, I thought contentment was when you finally got to that state where in the midst of it all, you could just lay back and relax. 
But you know what? The devil can always come up with some circumstance that'll unrelax you. Even while you're in the hot tub, the kids will fight or the phone will ring. And the very thing you had planned to unravel you and make you feel better suddenly fails. Contentment is never tied to circumstances. Did you hear me? It's never tied to circumstances. It's tied to the adequacy of your resources. That's contentment. Now listen to what Paul said here. Verse, chapter 4, verse 11. He said, not that I speak in respect of want. Now tonight I want you to mark some words, please. He said, for I have learned. Circle that word. I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Circle that word. The two key words as we start into this passage is Paul said, Believer, please understand this is something I've learned to do. Please note, he didn't say, I got this the day I got saved. He didn't say, when I bowed my knee and accepted Jesus as Savior, when I got up, boom, it was there. You know what? You're coming to an altar, bowing your knees, saying, God, give it to me. God says, I'll give it to you, all right. I want you to learn. I wonder how many of you would right now, tonight, bow your knee and say, God, turn up the temperature until I learn. God, until I come to the place that I've done what Paul has done and I have learned in these circumstances. Oh, you say, oh no, no, David, the prayer of my heart tonight is that God will lower the temperature. The word learned here meant based on what you've gathered from what you've been through. Do you know what? God has been with you a great deal. And you're sitting here as if you died a thousand times ahead of tonight. God was there. He met your need. As a matter of fact, in most of our circumstances, he met beyond our need. Paul said, I have learned. Wonder if you could turn to the problem. Remember, you're a steward not only of your blessings, you are a steward of your problems. I wonder if you could say, man, from what God has brought into my life, I have learned. Or did the devil get you so wrapped up fretting? Did the devil get you so wrapped up questioning God? Did the devil get you so frazzled that you became discouraged that you never learned? That God is indeed God. Can I give you some wonderful news tonight? He's all powerful. He's all able. He's all knowing. He's all capable. He loves you so much. He gave his son to die in your place. Not only did he save you, he made you his child. One day he's coming back and taking you to home to share eternity in heaven with him. My friend, I have learned. Now look at what he says. I have learned whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. Now, catch the meaning of the word content. The word content doesn't mean peaceful. 
It doesn't mean relaxed. Boy, this changed me. The word content means contained. Did you catch that? It means contained within. That's what the word content means. Paul said, no matter what I have faced, I have learned to be contained within. There's something in me, Paul said, that gives me a sufficiency. There's something in me that more than meets my need. Have you ever met someone and you say, boy, goodness, that that person seems so contented. The reason they're contented is because of something within, not something without. Paul said, I'm contained. There's enough in me. And the same thing that was in Paul is in you. Did you hear me? What was in Paul is in me. What was in Paul was in you. The Holy Spirit, my friend, in residence. And Paul said, I have learned that this within, not without, within can meet my every need. Now, I want you to catch what Paul learned. Please write these three things down as we go through these verses. The first thing that Paul learned from that contentment was this. He said, I've learned that there is an overruling providence of God in my life. An overruling providence of God. God is in control. My goodness, how all the great songs say it. How we loft our voice and praise and sing it. Then how we walk out the door and act as if we know nothing about it. God is in control. Paul said, listen, my, how I'm excited again that you're giving to me. He said, I know you wanted to in the past and you weren't able to, but it has thrilled my soul again, he said, to see you start to meet my needs by giving sacrificially. Didn't God know that Paul had needs? Yes, God knew. Uh, Couldn't God have got the money there another way? Paul said God can get it here any way he wants to get it here. Paul said, my God is in control of this. Uh, Do you understand when you read verse 11 and verse 10, Paul is saying, man, a bunch of support that was supposed to come in didn't come. And I'm not exactly where I can leave these guards and run around and go take offerings. Paul, my soul, Paul, you you, you mean you've got trouble financially? My soul, you don't know what this offering means to me, he said. But that didn't discourage him one bit. Not one bit. He said, my God, with his overruling providence, is in control. Now, my friend, I don't know what you face, but God is in control of your life. Absolutely nothing will change the direction of your attitude when you come to the point where you bow your knee and say, God, I know you are in control. Paul said, boy, this I know, I have learned this, that my God is in control of all of this. 
You say, yeah, but it didn't meet Paul's expectation. God never promised to meet your expectation. He promised to meet your needs. Can I warn you? He didn't say he'd meet your greeds. He said he'd meet your needs. And Paul said, my needs were met. Yes, it didn't come the way I thought it would. Yes, I wanted there to be more. Paul didn't know anything about this name it, claim it stuff. I don't like the word name it, claim it. I like the word gab it, grab it. That's what it really gets down to. This idea somehow if I want it, God owes it to me. That's not in the Bible anywhere. Paul said, I want you to know my God has an overruling providence in my life. My God sees everything before it ever comes my way. God knows every situation I'm in. God knows I'm going to be chained to these soldiers. God knows I'm going to have these personal attacks of malice. God knows I live daily with the threat of martyrdom. Paul said, my God's in control of every bit of this. You know what the word providence means? The word comes from the word pro in the Latin, which means before. And the word video, which means to see. That's where we get the word providence. It means God saw it all before it was ever anything. And he's in control of it. Oh, David, let me tell you what's happened. God saw it all before you ever knew anything about it. And could have changed any bit of it that he wanted to change. My God is in control. Now, please listen to me. If you don't hear anything I say tonight, you'll never know the first thing about contentment. You, my friend, will live just like this frazzled world until you come to the place where you honestly know. Not just think, not just sort of believe, but to where you know. Your God is in control. When my mother got polio, our lives changed dramatically. My mother was the most vivacious, active person I'd ever met in my life. My mother didn't ever just sort of walk up steps. She sort of bounded up steps. And suddenly, one day, a virus entered. And polio spinal meningitis took her ability to walk away. My mother lived in a wheelchair. She'd walk with braces and crutches, and to this day, my mother has huge, huge blood blisters all up and down her hands and arms. My mother's legs are always rubbed raw from the braces. As a young man, I remember thinking, God, this isn't fair. God, my mom played the piano in church, went to every choir rehearsal, taught a Sunday school class. God, we were in church every time the doors were open. God, this isn't fair. And as an eight-year-old boy, I remember crying at night in bed, not for myself, but I'd cry in bed because I'd hear my mother screaming in spasms. I can still vividly hear them. 
a cramp that is so vicious and so painful that nothing short of knocking you out will make it go away. I'd hear my mother pray for me through those cramps. They'd last for hours. And I'd hear her grab herself and try to conquer the pain. And I'd say, God, this isn't. God, what are you doing? We live where there's snow in the wintertime. And right next to our house was a hill. We kids would go out there with a sled. And because my mom could never come to check on us, the rule was every 30 minutes we had to come back and check in to let my mother know we were okay. One day I'm out on this hill and boy, we're sledding and having a grand time. And you had to negotiate some trees in order to get down the hill. And I didn't negotiate well this time. I ran that sled, pow, right into a tree. Boy, that tree came up and split my face wide open, cracked bones through my chest, and broke part of my hand. I started screaming for my mother, like every eight-year-old boy would. Mom! But it was all gargled that my mom heard it. My mom couldn't walk in that snow. She couldn't walk anywhere. But when she heard that cry, what my mother did, was start crawling. Not with her legs, because they were encased in those steel braces. She started crawling and pulling herself with two kitchen knives across that snow to come to me. She dragged herself And came to her child. When she came up, how it brought it back to me tonight with the teasing of the Santa Claus. My mom always calls me Davy. She said, Davy, Davy, come coming. And when she got there, she pulled up by me. Snow's everywhere. I said, Mom, the sin fair. And I still remember her hugging me, and she said, Son, God knows what He's doing, and He's in control. But, Mom, no, Davy, no, but God knows what He's doing, Son, and He's in control. You know what? A thousand days, Brother Paul, when I didn't think I could go because I was too tired. 
what I remembered was reaching out and pulling to me. My friend, God knows what he's doing. And God is in control. You need to bow your knee tonight and tell God you're sorry for questioning. You need to tell God that you've acted like he doesn't know what he's doing. You've got to tell God that you're sorry that you've been acting like he's out of control. Paul knew that his God was in control. Man, when he wrote to the Romans church in that great verse, chapter 8, verse 28, he says, And we know. Did you catch what he said? He said, not only do all things work together for good, he said, and we know. Do you know that? Or have you been living like that's a question in your mind? Nothing will turn your life around, bring you contentment, like having an adequacy of resource. And the place it starts is when you know that your God, is in control of everything you face. A thousand times I've walked in a courtroom. Charlie knows this. And boy, there's some judge there terrorizing us. And boy, as I've walked in, I've said, that judge wouldn't even draw breath if my God didn't give it to him. That judge couldn't even be here today. My God is in control in this courtroom. Is that the God you serve? That's the God Paul served. He said, and I've learned to be contained, content, an adequacy, because of the overriding providence of the God he served. The second thing that Paul said was, I have in my Savior an unfailing power. Now catch this. He said, my God sees it all and is in control of it all. And then he says, my God has an unfailing power. God can do anything but fail. His power is unfailing in your life. His power is unfailing in my life. Stances excuse it. No problem ever warrants his dismissal. My God has un. Failing power. Now look at what he says here. Read with me, if you would, chapter 4 again, starting at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for he says, I have learned. Remember, that was the word that we circled. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Verse 12. He says, for I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed. Circle the word instructed, would you please? He said, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now catch this. Paul said, there's some things that I've learned. That was the word we looked at in verse 11. Do you remember what the word learned was? That was what you've got from the experiences that you've been through. Paul says, my God has shown and demonstrated himself to be able. 
But that's not the word that was used in the Bible when he went to the next verse and he used the word instructed. The word instructed was the word that you used for knowing something that was secret. Oh my. Knowing something that's truly miraculous. Paul said, that's what I've been instructed in. I have a secret that I know. That's the word used here in the Bible. Paul said the secret is very simply this. The power is not in me. The power's in Christ. Look at what he says in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. He didn't say I can do all things through a positive mental attitude. He didn't say I can do all things through great conferences. He didn't say I can do it if I've got myself relaxed and wired right. He said I can do it through Christ. That's the key. Paul said, I've got a power. And you've got that. If you've never read the book on the secret of Hudson Taylor, you need to read that book. That secret was that Hudson Taylor finally figured out that it wasn't his labor that God honored, it was his son he honored. He had a power because he had Jesus in his life. My friend, you have the overwhelming providence of God. My friend, you have this power that will never, ever fail. My soul, that in and of itself is resource beyond description. Do you understand? Nothing happens to me that my God's not absolutely in control. Nothing happens to me that my God, who isn't all-powerful, can't handle. An adequacy of resource. Look at the third thing he says, however. He said, not only do I have this overruling providence of God, he said, not only do I have this power unlimited, that's through Christ Jesus. The last thing he said is, I have the unchanging promise of the God I serve. Boy, this excites me. Paul said, you've sent something to me, a gift. And he said, that gift is both an investment and a sacrifice. By the way, you don't ever give that it isn't an investment and a sacrifice. And Paul says, your investment is going to get you eternal reward, he said, my God always keeps his word. Now read what he said, if you would. Read with me, starting in verses 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But now here comes God keeping his word. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. Paul said, my God 
has overwhelming control through his providence. Paul said, my God not only has that providence, my God has unlimited power. Then he said, not only does my God have providence and power, he said, my God has promise that he'll always keep his word. Did you hear what he promised? I will meet your need. You see, but I will meet your need. My God shall supply all your need. All of it. According to his riches in Christ Jesus. Oh, Paul had a secret. His secret was contentment. Not from circumstances, contentment from an adequacy of resource. Paul, does it work? Paul, are you telling me that when I believe in the providence of God, are you telling me that when I believe in the power of God, are you telling me that when I believe in the promise of God, that I'll know contentment. My friend, you will have learned to be content in whatsoever state you're in. All it takes tonight is you being willing to take God at his word. Paul was a role model here that a lot of the people could dismiss. God couldn't get him out of his jams, it seemed like. He was sure in a bunch of trouble. Your God's so great, Paul, how come God can't get you out of jail? How come God can't do all these miracles? Paul said the greatest miracle of all is not getting rid of my circumstances. The greatest miracle is God giving me an adequacy of resource. Contentment with which I'll face all of these problems. Would you be willing tonight to stop praying for God to change the circumstances and pray for God to change you? Would you be willing tonight just to drop your knee and say, God, you are in control. Nothing enters my life that you don't control or permit. Nothing. God, tonight, man, I acknowledge you have the power, all power. God can take care of your needs and have none of his power diminished. God's power will never be tapped out or drained out. His power is limitless. Paul said, my God meets my need. And would you tonight... Just say, God, not only are you the God of providence, not only are you the God of power, but you're the God of promise. God, I take you at your word that you'll supply every need, every need that I have. Contentment. Not the lack of problems. Contentment. Not the lack of a battle contentment, the abundance of resource to meet whatever you face. Is it 
in you. Why not jumpstart your ministry tonight by asking God to give you the resource that you need to more than meet whatever you're ever going to face. The God of providence, He controls it all. The God of power, the God of promise. That God gave Paul contentment. And God didn't write it here just so that you and I would find it interesting. He wrote it so that we could have the same contentment. I called Brother Roloff one day. We'd been in court. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I mean, the judge threatened to put him in jail, threatened to put me in jail, threatened to put everybody in the ministry in jail. The next day I called him at home and I said, Brother Roloff, how are you doing? Oh, he said, David, the Bible says I'm doing fine. I said, well, yesterday was rough. He said, that judge didn't tap out God's resources. And he said, David, that judge hasn't tapped out my resources. You know what? When you're frazzled, you're telling God your resources are tapped out. Tonight, go back and have God replenish the resources. Contentment is when you're satisfied beyond any question that you have the resources to face whatever this world and the devil's ever going to throw at you. That's contentment. When Paul wrote to these people, he talked about God's peace. He talked about God's power. He talked about God's provision. But nothing's remembered like God's contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You could leave here tonight with great gain in your life. When Paul, the seasoned veteran, spoke to Timothy, the understudy, he said, Timothy, it's not just godliness, it's contentment. Knowing that you've got the resources to meet whatever you've got to face. That, Timothy, is great gain. Tonight, my friend, what God did for Paul, he'll do for you and me. He's no respecter of persons. Tonight, I'm going to get on my knee and tell God that too much I've been living like my resources are tapped out. No contentment. Tonight, the God of providence, he's in control. The God of power, nothing he can't do. Promise, I'll meet 
your need. That's all the resource I need. Contentment. Would you leave here tonight with contentment? Father, thank you for your word. Oh, in these next few moments, I pray we'll be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. God, how you want to do in our lives what your word promised and fulfilled in the life of Paul. God, we need not a lack of controversy, not a lack of problems. God, what we need is an abundance of resource so that whatever we face, we've the resource with which to face it. That's contentment. Father, I pray tonight that we'd be quick to bow our knee and let you be God in our lives. Heads bowed, no one looking. I wonder how many here would say, David, my soul, I fear in some measure I've lacked that contentment. I lived or acted or thought as if I didn't have all the resource to face what I needed to face. And because of that, David... I acted undone. David, God helping me tonight. Man, I'm going to learn that whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. Just based on what God did for Paul, I want God to do that for me. David, God spoke to my heart tonight. Pray for me. Slip your hand up right now if that's true. Yes. I'm going to ask the piano to quietly start to play. You say, boy, I raised my hand. I believe God honors when we bow our knee. I want you to quietly slip from where you're seated. Contentment. Not a lack of trial. Not a lack of problem. But an abundance of resource. Knowing. Fully satisfied that we have the resource to face whatever God wants us to face. You make your way as far as you can, my friend, how God wants to meet your need tonight. Godliness with contentment, oh my, is great gain. Just come to where you can and then quietly slip to your knee as we pray. Father, tonight we're bowing our knee and more importantly, we're bowing our heart. Because, Father, it doesn't matter what we face. If we have the divine resources to more than adequately meet the need. God, we've prayed so hard you'd take all of the difficulty away. We prayed so hard you'd remove the trial. But, Father, tonight... We're praying that we learn from all the trial and from all the difficulty, from the testings, to know that our resources in Christ Jesus are more than adequate to face whatever this world or the devil hurls at us. Father, tonight, with the depths of our souls, we want to just grasp the simple truth that you're in control. That nothing happens, that nothing can happen without your divine, eternal permission. Father, we belong to you. We're your children. And you're in control of what happens to our lives. Tonight, the providence of that which you see, know, and control is being claimed in our lives. 
And Father, besides that providence tonight, we're claiming the power, the omnipotent, boundless, indescribable power of the ability of the God we serve. Father, no problem I'll ever face is beyond your power to take care of it. Your power to empower me, to help me. Father, I pray tonight that we'd rest trusting in the power of the God we serve. Your word says without you we can do nothing tonight. Boy, we acknowledge that fact and we're so thankful that we serve a God who is all-powerful. Your providence control, your power, and God, tonight we're not leaving here as a people without promise. God, you gave your word, your eternal word. It bests the word of any man, it bests the word of any group, because it's the word of God who's promised never to change it. And God, you have promised to meet our need. Tonight, Father, that providence, that power, and that promise, our anchor holds. Not because of us, but because of you. Though the enemy may throw the winds of adversity, our anchor holds. Tonight, Father, contentment. The trust that our resources in you are more than adequate for whatever we face. Thank you for being so loving to us. Thank you for the word. Now in simple faith, we accept what you've promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Contentment, my friend, will change your life. When your life is changed by contentment, your ministry will be changed. Nothing changes a home like contentment. Nothing changes a church like contentment because nothing changes a life like contentment not the lack of trouble just the assurance that I have the resources to face it when I left home my mom who's now turning 70 and is still in that wheelchair hugs my neck every time I see her and always reminds me he knows exactly what he's doing. With all my heart, I don't believe I'd be here if it hadn't been for the fact that my mom had to endure a trial to teach her boy a lesson. The resource is adequate.